0: So if you, if you have your Bibles and uh, if you'd like to turn to the text and follow along with me, uh, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so we're going to be looking today, just a couple of verses, verse 15 and verse verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this morning we're beginning a new series, a new series for the Christmas season here at Old Cutler. It's going to be a, a six-part or six-sermon series for the Christmas season. And and so what we're going to be doing, just to kind of catch you up, is over the next so it's five, five Sundays in, in December. So the five Sundays of, of December, we're going to be looking at select passages from the Old Testament and New Testament that focus on, on Christmas and, and really what it's about. And then the sixth of these sermons uh, is going to be on, on Christmas Eve. And just to say something real quickly to you about that, remember Christmas Eve this year is on a, a Sunday. And so we're going to be worshiping regularly on Sunday morning at 1030. Uh, and, uh, and then we're going to have uh, Christmas Eve services, 1 at 5 and 1 at 7 that evening. So something to note, because some have, have, have asked me about this, and we're going to have two different sermons that day. So what that means is we want you to come in the morning and we want you to come at night. And so don't come in the morning thinking you've already heard the sermon. You'll hear a different sermon that night. And that's what makes the six sermons. And, and I do, just to, to tell you this, since Greg had to give me a hard time earlier... I do plan on uh, taking the week after Christmas off. And because I no longer trust Greg Foss, Matt Hedinger is going to (laughs) preach. Boy, did you ever deserve that one. No, I promise Matt was already scheduled to preach that Sunday. Let's look at God's word. Verse 15 and verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And this is the word of our God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and, of course, the hearing of his word. So the, this, this series, this Christmas sermon series, is, is entitled The Christmas Story. With an emphasis on the word the. The Christmas Story. Now as you, as you hear that title, I, I imagine that uh, some of you are probably going, that sounds sort of familiar. And, and there's a reason for that. The reason is because I've, I've used and, and borrowed uh, from one of the, the Christmas movies that I typically watch every year. Uh, and, it's, and I can tell by your giggling that most of you probably know what this one is. Uh, it's called A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story. And, and if, if you have, have not watched it, uh, I promise all you have to do is have the television on on Christmas Day. I'm not kidding. That movie runs back-to-back all day long without stop on Christmas on Christmas Day. Uh, my wife hates it. I mean, just <laughs> hates it. It's not the best Christmas movie. I promise you that. Uh, if, you, if you've not seen it, it's this, this story uh, that's set in the 40s, uh, and it's about this family. It's a comedy, and so it's, it's really, the whole movie is just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, but uh, the, the, the sort of main theme of the story is this little boy in this family that uh, wants a, a, a particular kind of bb gun right and and he he does you know whatever whatever adult his parents or any other adult whether it's a teacher santa claus or whatever he tells them uh, all you know that's what he wants for christmas is this particular kind of bb gun and every adult says to him no because you will shoot your eye out right and of course he gets it and guess what he does pretty much shoots his eye out i mean he has glasses on so it breaks his glasses so he does exactly what but that really is sort of, sort of the movie. But what's so interesting about it to think about in relationship to this holiday is this is, a, this is what's called a Christmas story that runs on Christmas Day all day and it has absolutely nothing to do with the Christmas story. Absolutely nothing to do with the Christmas story. And that's part of the reason why I I, I take the time each year to to do this, to focus on Christmas, because I think with all of the the things we like and all the trappings and all those kind of things, it's important to be reminded, I think, every year of what what the Christmas story really is. Now, this year, we're choosing a text, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that's not a typical passage that we, we turn to for, for Christmas. Uh, I was commiserating with some of the staff early this week that, that you know, this is my 26th straight Christmas sermon series, right? That's a lot of, well, thanks, I appreciate that. That's a lot of sort of preaching on Christmas, right? And there's not a lot of passages. And so, we, every, you know, every pastor does this. So if you've done this for any period of time, you're kind of like getting to this point and you're going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say this year? And you're like the same passage, I got to go back to the same passage. I, I, in, in terms of putting this series together, I was surprised to find out I've never preached this text for Christmas. I've preached it. Uh, I've preached First Timothy and all of First Timothy and the three churches I've pastored. I've preached it here. It's been a minute since I've done it, but I've preached it here. But I've never preached this text for Christmas. But the reason why I'm drawn to it, to begin this this series on the Christmas story, is because this particular text, in a very clear and simple way, does, does three things that I think are really, really important when we talk about the real Christmas story. It speaks to us, first of all, about the truth, then the meaning, and then the hope of what Christmas is. The truth, the meaning, and the hope of Christmas. Now, let's start by looking at the truth, the truth, and which is something that is important. I mean, something that we know matters. I mean, we know that God is truth. We know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We know that the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned in my prayer today, is the spirit of truth. We know that the Bible is truth. And we also know that the Apostle Paul is very concerned about truth. If you have your Bibles open to the text, and this is one of the reasons why, I think it is important, even though we have the text on the screen and all of that, and you can use that, but getting your Bibles open so you can look at the context and all that stuff when we're looking at at passages for sermons is important. Paul, when he writes 1 Timothy, the first part of chapter 1, leading into the text that we're looking at today, actually deals with Paul warning Timothy about false teachers. Because that's a concern that we always have to have. False teachers, false teaching, whether it's in the church or it's in the, the culture and society that is around us, whether it is someone that's mis, mis, misusing the Bible or teaching wrong theology or the secular propaganda that we hear all the time. And and that stuff, it gets wrapped around what this moment is about, doesn't it? It does. We're, we're not a, we're, as a church, we're, we're, as Presbyterians, and some more than us, but, but we're not big in terms of following the church calendar. Uh, for us, I mean, unlike churches that are more liturgical and higher churches that will go, you know, sort of step-by-step step all through the church calendar, we grab a hold in our church of these two significant days of Christmas and Easter, but I will tell you this. I don't think there's another date, another time on the entire church calendar that gets more a sort of false, um, misguided, wrong information wrapped around it than this date, than this date, than Christmas, right? And it's more than Easter, even though Easter is the same kind of thing, it happens there, but on this date, it really happens. And so I think for us, we, we need this, this sort of constant reminder each year and then let me let me say something to parents here today especially parents of little children you need to teach your children this you need to remind your children and help your children in the midst of all that they're going to be getting what is this really all about now Paul here is concerned about the truth in fact, notice that what he says in the first part of verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, what is the saying he's referencing? Well, we'll see that in just a moment. It's the very next part of it that is actually about Christmas. But what he says is this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now, this is um, in, in Paul in his, in his uh, what are called the pastoral epistles, which if you don't know specifically what those are, that's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, these three letters that Paul wrote to these younger pastors, right? He uses this as a formula. In other words, this particular sentence is formulaic. And and he says it five different times through these three letters. He says it three times here in this letter alone. Verse 15, if you notice over in chapter three, verse one, he shortens it and says, the saying is trustworthy, And then if you look over at chapter 4, verse 9, he literally repeats exactly what he said in verse 15, where he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now back to verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and and deserving of full acceptance. What is he getting at? What is he saying? Is he he saying that this what I'm about to say, this next thing, this is the only thing you can look at that's trustworthy? Of course not. I mean, we understand something about the Scripture. We understand that it is God-breathed, which means that it is true in all that it declares. This is where we get the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. So all of Scripture is God-breathed. So why does Paul say this? Why does he do this? Why does he, he sort of emphasize the trustworthiness of this? Because he's drawing attention to it. He's, he's saying this is something you've got you to get. This is trustworthy. It's reliable. It's historically accurate. It's fact. It's true. Now, what is that? Well, that leads into the next thing that we see. Because that's the second point, which is the meaning of the real Christmas story. This is the second thing. So, Paul then, note, note again, he says, the saint is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And then he tells us what that is. And that's the second part of verse 15. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That really is, brothers and sisters in Christ, that is Christmas. That's it. It's as simple as that. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, no, that's, it's, it's twofold, isn't it? It's, it's not just one thing, it's two things that he's talking about there. He's talking about what we typically refer to as the, the incarnation And he's also talking about the atonement of the Son of God. The incarnation and the atonement. Now those are two important theological words. One of the things I think we we all need to recognize in the church, and I don't know if we, I think we lose some of that in church today, is is how important theology is and theological concepts are and grabbing a hold of these concepts, because if we don't get these concepts... I think this is one of the reasons why false teaching can get into churches so easily. Because we are not conceptualizing what the word is saying. We're not putting it together in a way that we can kind of have a defense against because we know what good theology actually is. And so we need to understand this. And and we need to understand these words. I I would hope in this room there's not a single person here that doesn't know the word incarnation. I hope there's not a single person here that doesn't know the word atonement. That you know, know both of these words. Because they speak to a reality that is incredibly important. So let me just tell you a little bit about it. So the doctrine of the the incarnation is the first thing. That Christ Jesus came into the world. The the, the Incarnation is just simple. Incarnate just simply means what? In flesh. That's what it means. In flesh. In the body. That's it. It's as easy as that. You can get the concept. What it is, it's it's a doctrine that teaches us about the, the second person of the trinity... The eternal Son of God, without giving up his deity, took on flesh. He became a human being. Fully God, fully man. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. Now, the doctrine of the atonement, which also is referenced here, that he came into the world to do what? To save sinners. This doctrine can be understood in a simple way of just breaking the word down, like, like, and I've done this with you before, you've heard this before, even if you don't remember it, atonement, at-one-ment, at-one-ment. Now, what at one is really about is what the work of Christ has accomplished in, in, in allowing us, in providing for us to be one or reconciled to a holy God, okay? Now, what the atonement is about is the work of Christ, now, typically, when we think of the atonement, we think of what is his death. So you look at this, came into the world to save sinners, we focus on his death, which is, I think, I think the emphasis of it, but it's not all of it. And if we, if we don't understand the fullness of his atoning work and, and what this is describing and what he came into the world to do, I think you're going to miss some of the potency of your salvation. But oftentimes, when we talk about the atonement, we just focus on his death, but we need to also focus on his life. This is what we talk about when we talk about, do you know the language, active obedience and passive obedience? Have you ever heard that language? Active obedience is basically Jesus obeying his father, doing the will of God, fulfilling the law of God, never in any way sinning. Why is that important to our salvation? Because it is the means of our righteousness. Do you understand that? You and I don't build our own record of righteousness because we can't. We can't. That righteousness that we all have is what Luther talked about. It's alien to us. It's Christ's righteousness, accounted or imputed to us, right? It's because of his act of obedience, and when we begin to understand that, it, it helps us so much when it comes to recognizing that when we struggle in sin, that God's response to us is always love because we are always, always clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that? We're always clothed in his righteousness. So that's his act of obedience. His passive obedience is his, his willingness to allow others to, to put him to death. As our substitute, taking upon upon himself our sin, paying for our sin and the wrath of God against our sin. Both of those are important. Now, what Paul is talking about here, when he's talking about really what Christmas is about, is this that Christ Jesus came into the world. That's the incarnation to save sinners. That is the atonement. Now, here's what typically happens. When we think of Christmas, we think of the birth of Jesus. When we think of, of Easter, we think of the death of Jesus. And those two things, that's the way we kind of work. But if we do that, which is true, that is true in a sense, we do emphasize his death and resurrection at Easter. But if that's what we do during the Christmas season, we are missing something about what Christmas is about. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus did not come to this world just to be a baby or a child, or a teenager, or an adult, just to hang out with us, to get us. He didn't come just for that. And even though it is very true, and one of the sermons in this series is going to be about the incarnation and how that allows us and helps us to understand that he sympathizes with us, he really does understand what we go through. He did not come here just to get us. He came here to save us, to rescue us. And even in the birth narrative, that's exactly what we see. Earlier in the service today, Greg read from Matthew chapter 1. And you remember those names in Matthew 1 that are given, right? In verse 23, what does it say? In Matthew 1, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. It's this whole concept, and you see it through the biblical storyline, if you think about it. The Old Testament, he tabernacled with his people. He met them in the tabernacle, in the temple. But then here's what the New Testament reality is about, and it's beautiful if you just think about it. What does he do? He actually comes, and he becomes one of us. And then when he dies and ascends into heaven, I mean, notice that intimacy language of him with us in the tabernacle, with us in the temple, then with us in a person and then with us, in us, it's the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. That's the incarnation. Just two verses earlier, this is the birth narrative of Jesus. The angel speaking to, to Joseph about what's going to happen with Mary. You know this verse. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins you see what Christmas is about there's the reality of it which is the incarnation God with us but it's purpose it's purpose and we cannot disconnect don't do that please don't do that don't disconnect the purpose from the reality he came for a purpose and that is to save his people from their sins this is the story That God came in the flesh, born of a woman, to live a life that you and I could never possibly live. And he died a death that every single one of us deserved to die. Every one of us. And he faced a judgment that every one of us deserved to face so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. That is Christmas. Christmas. Now, that leads to the third thing that I hope you all get, which is the the last thing, which is the hope of this. Do you see the hope that this provides? Now, in order to really see the hope that this provides, what you also have to get, you really have to get this, and that is you have to get your need. If you don't understand how truly needy you are, you're not going to see how wonderfully hopeful this message actually is and part of what what paul does here is he he addresses this idea of of need first and and so if you notice think think about what the whole of verse 15 says it's right after saying the same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and then at the end of verse 15 he writes of whom i am the foremost of whom i am the foremost now, first of all, the idea of foremost, it's a it's a the, the Greek, it just means first. So what he's saying is, I am the first of sinners. That's actually what he's saying. I'm the first of sinners. But because it's the first, this is why your versions can be can be translated like this, foremost, or some say greatest, some say worst. What Paul is basically saying is, I I view myself as the worst of sinners. And note, when he when he says it, he doesn't say, I was. He actually says, I am. He says, I am. This is, this is part of the reason why when we, we take vows, we, we actually talk about in our vow of membership, the very first vow is that you, you know you are a sinner and deserving of God's judgment. You know that. You are a sinner, right? Right? Now, what's going on here? Paul would say, I am the worst of sinners. And I think part of what we have to see here is the, the, a recognition of something that at times we, we lose our focus on. And that is that we, we are always, always in need of Jesus. Do you understand that? Always in need of Jesus. So that it's not this. It's not like, okay, I was, I was a terrible, awful sinner. I got saved. Now I really don't need Jesus anymore, okay? But that we always need him. Because the truth is, here's what's happening with Paul in Christ. And this is the only time we're really going to get this, is when we are in Christ. When we're in Christ and we are maturing. When we're maturing, what that means is we're getting more and more of a sense of the awesome holiness of God. Of who he really is. Of what his holiness really is like. And when we are understanding how holy God truly is, when we're maturing in that way, it it really ultimately doesn't matter how mature you are because you're seeing his holiness more and more, which means what? You're going to see in yourself how far short you are falling. And this is why, and here's how it works. When you get a sense of the holiness of God, you're going to, on an ongoing basis, get more of a sense of the sinfulness of your sin and at the same time get a sense of the greatness of Jesus' salvation. You see it? God is holy. You are a sinner and you need Jesus. And you always do. And one of the indications of growth and maturity in Christ is that you, re- you see that more. That's why Paul could write something like Romans 7 where he's just struggling so much. right? Now, that's part of what this means. The other part, though, when he says, I am the foremost of sinners, is he's actually talking about what his reality was like before he came to Christ. Now, here's something to think about Paul would not have, nor would anyone who knew Paul, have ever thought or said, Paul was the worst of sinners. Paul wouldn't have said that about himself before coming to Christ. You know that? He wouldn't have. Wouldn't have thought it. Wouldn't have considered it. Why? Because Paul was a religious superstar. Stellar. Zealous for God. Legalistically righteous. He could check every box. And if you doubt me on that, go back and read Philippians 3. He does it. He literally checks all the boxes. This is how I was, right? But when Jesus revealed himself to him, remember Acts 9 on the road to Damascus, when he knocks him off of that high horse, blinds him physically, but spiritually makes him alive, Paul saw something, and he writes about it in verse 13. This is what he thought. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul We've thought before he was doing every possible thing to honor God. He was fighting for God and working for God and on God's side. But this is who he really was, a blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent of God. Now, the reason this matters is because it, it challenges any and all of us who may say that on that day when we stand before God, the use EE question, and God says, why should I let you into my heaven, that we do things like this to say, God, look at all the good things I have done. And God is going to say, you're not welcome. Or you may say, look at all the money that I have given away. And God is going to say, you're not welcome. Or you may say, look at how religious I am. And God's going to say, you're not welcome. Well, look at how good I am compared to. And God is going to say, you're not welcome. And the reason for that is because no matter what we bring and no matter what we do, our, our sin, it is so great that there is a chasm we cannot cross. We cannot make ourselves good enough or right enough for God. And in truth, in truth, every last one of us, we are blasphemers and insolent opponents of God. Now, you hear that. And with some, I will tell you this, I know pastors, I know what they do. With Some pastors, some churches, they, they go, I'm not going to say that to my people. I'm not going to talk to them about that because it makes them feel bad. It makes them walk around with their heads down all the time. But that is not what Paul is doing here. What Paul is actually doing, if you just think about it, is he's drawing us into to seeing him, into attention, to see him, focus on him, to see how sinful he is. Because what he wants is to provide hope for us. And this is what you see in verse 16. Note what he goes on to say, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the perfect patience as an, his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What is he basically doing there? He's basically saying, and this isn't the only time. I mean, God saved and was gracious to Paul for all kinds of reasons. You know that, right? And Scripture lays those out. But what he's saying here is this. He's saying, I'm the foremost of sinners. And God was gracious to me because he, he wanted to use me as a, as a prototype, as an example. He wanted me, the, the, the foremost of sinners, to be the example of what? Of Jesus' perfect patience and amazing grace so that those who would believe in him could have eternal life do you get it he's speaking to anyone who is here that may say how could God possibly save me look at how much I've hated him look at what I've done you know I, I have a few things that I regret actually actually it's not even a few there's probably a lot of things I regret in my life and but some of them just kind of come back to me at times, and I just like ah, every time I think of it, I'm so thankful, and all of us should be because all of us have regrets. Incredibly thankful for the grace of God. But some of these just pop back up to me, and I was like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that way. I remember I was a teenager, and I was like, as a teenager, I was hell bent, and I was like sinfully insane for two or two years or so, and and I did. Every possible thing. It has to be that God wanted me to be the pastor of Old Cutler or I know I would be dead because of all the evil, wicked, sinful, destructive things I did. And I would usually take my little sister with me when was, she was two years younger. And maybe this was part of the, 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 the help God gave me because my, my little sister, Pam, would always say, and she was like this little voice, Mike, don't do that. Stop. You're going to hurt yourself you're going to hurt somebody you're going to kill yourself don't do that and I remember one time and this is what I regret I remember one time um because we grew up in the church and she said something I can't remember what I was doing but she said something about what would God think about this and I responded by saying um what has God ever done for me and I think about that now and I'm like how could I have thought that way how could I have said that What's God ever done for me? And all of us can can think about stuff in our lives and look at stuff in our lives and and consider the depth of of our depravity and our brokenness and and all of that. And as a result of it, we can just fall into this pattern of saying, God can't save me. But what Paul is saying here is, yes, he can. Look at me. The foremost of sinners, look at me. I'm the example of his perfect patience. And he's extending that patience to you so that you would believe in him for eternal life, right? You know, I, I love Christmas for, for a few reasons. One, I mean, I love it because of, I do, I love it because of the trappings and all that stuff. I think it's, a, it's fun, all the stuff we do. Um, I also love Christmas because I do think it is a moment where we pause and we just sort of consider Jesus coming into the world. And I think every year sort of doing it. It's not that we don't do it all the time, and we should do it all the time. And, but, and that's one of the reasons why some people speak against like, whether we should celebrate these holidays or not. And I get that. Um, because we do need to be talking about this stuff all the time. But just to stop for a moment and pause and just focus on it, right? But here's the, the other reason why... You know for 26 years in churches I've pastored we have these these kind of services when we focus on this it's because of this at, at Christmas and it's true for Easter as well it, um, it's it's this time that that um, gives the church in its worship an, an opportunity to speak to people who may not normally darken the doors of a church besides in this moment and we see it I mean last night in goodness gracious we had two concerts packed out Mike Larson talked about the gospel in that service wasn't long but it was the gospel on Christmas Eve we're gonna have two evening services and it's always packed it gives us an opportunity to talk about the gospel. In any of these Sunday morning services, I, I expect, fully well expected, in any of these sermons, these Sunday services, that there's going to be someone that's here, and they're here because it's Christmas. I'm going to go to church because it's Christmas. And they may not know anything about what Christmas is, but what I want you to hear me say, if you are here today, and that is you, what I want you to hear me say is this. You, like me, and like every last one of us here, you are a sinner deserving of God's judgment. But the God of perfect peace and amazing grace has sent to you a Savior, Jesus, and you can believe in him right now for eternal life. You may have walked in this door today knowing a Christmas story. I want you to leave believing the Christmas story. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and for how beautiful it is, how it just takes us to these, these wonderful, simple yet deep truths about what you have done for us by your grace through Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the coming of Jesus. Thank you for the purpose of his coming. Thank you for rescuing us. Help us, Lord, to live and to lean into these truths to know in life of your grace and how that grace is powerful to work and change us, to give us new and different lives. Help us to remember, Lord, how we are set apart for you in all that we do. Help us to celebrate Christmas rightly. Thank you again, Lord, for this time as we come to the table and as we come this morning, we just want to pause uh, for a few moments as we prepare our hearts to respond to the preach word by coming, Lord, to this visible expression of your word through the bread and the cup. And we wanna just take time and and just acknowledge and confess our own ongoing struggles and sins and express those things, Lord, in honesty before you, knowing what you and Christ have done for us in taking those sins and dealing with them. And in our confession and repentance, Lord, We pray that you would help us to walk more faithfully before you. And so, Lord, we just quiet our hearts. And in these moments, we just individually, Lord, just talk to you about those things that are not honoring to you. Father, at the table, we find this beautiful expression of what you've done at the cross. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our confession of sin. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. And we thank you for the help by your spirit and through the means of your grace, even through this table, for us to live more faithfully before you. And so now bless us, Lord, as we come. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you this morning to uh, join us